If you have a copy of the scriptures, let's look together this morning at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter to you. It should be on the screen behind me, or obviously if you have a Bible, you can follow along there. Just remind you that this is God's life-giving word. Let's give our attention to it. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, help us to understand this passage. It is your word. Help us, Lord, to not only understand the passage, but to understand this passage in such a way that we might delight and rejoice in you. That we really would not just try to get more information. Or not just think of your word as information, although it certainly gives us lots of valuable information. But Lord, you've given it to us so that we might delight in you and enjoy you forever. So please start that for the first time in our lives or make us delight and enjoy you in fresh ways today. And I pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at Mark chapter 14 this morning, I want you to know that we actually get to take another bite of a Markin sandwich. Now, those of you that haven't been here, a Markin sandwich is actually a literary tool. It's a way that Mark writes his gospel. 
See, what happens is if you look at this passage and what I read to you in the 11 verses, what you find is that the first two verses are talking about something. And verse 10 and 11 pick back up on that. And in between, verses 3 through 9, you have the essence of the story. Did you catch that? That's why the literary device is called a mark and sandwich. Verses 1 and 2 are the top piece of bread. Verse 10 and 11 are the bottom piece of bread. And in the middle, verses 3 through 9, you've got the meat. And all of it fits together to tell us something beautiful. That's what Jesus says. Now here's my question for you as you gather today. How long has it been since you have been amazed and stunned by something beautiful? We live in such a fast-paced world. We are constantly distracted with all the things that we want to be distracted with. How long has it been since you have been breathtakingly stunned at something beautiful, not something attractive, not something cute, not something sexy. I mean something beautiful, something beautiful that has taken your breath away. What I want to show you from this passage is that the Lord Jesus alone can make you beautiful. Let's take a bite into the sandwich, shall we? The chapter begins. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is at the point of no return. He's come into Jerusalem to die. And what the first two verses tell you is that the plot to put Jesus to death is getting closer and closer and closer to finding its fulfillment. What you find are the scribes and Pharisees are seeking a way to kill Jesus. And, they, and Mark adds this in, by stealth. They want to do it in such a way in order to be careful. You see, this is the time in Jerusalem which God's people have gathered. They're gathering to feast and celebrate the fact that God is active in the world and that God is powerful and he has acted in their history to help them, redeem them, save them, and grant them incredible blessings. Jerusalem swelled at this time from some 50,000 people to 250,000 people. The scribes and the Pharisees and those who were the chief priests were plotting on how to kill Jesus, and they had to do it, or at least they had to try to do it by stealth, because they were terrified that there would be an uproar. They were terrified that if they made too much of a public mess, if they made too much of a bu of public noise, that all the people would get really upset and they would turn on the scribes and the chief priests and the others. So you see they're trying to put Jesus to death and that reminds us, doesn't it, that you can't ever be indifferent to Jesus. You just can't. If you're indifferent to Jesus, then you probably haven't really read him. You probably haven't really listened to him. Because either you love Jesus and are loved by him, or you can't stand him. There's no in-between. You can't really be indifferent to the God-man in flesh come into this world. You just can't. Eventually, eventually, you're either going to affirm your love for him or affirm your hatred and denial and rejection of him. 
Remember, this plot has been unfolding for a while. Those of you that have been here for a while, you can flip back to chapter 3 and verse 6 and be reminded. That was the first time. It wasn't very long after Jesus started his ministry that people were plotting to kill him. So here we have people plotting to kill Jesus, and then the scene shifts to Bethany. Jesus is in Bethany. He's with his disciples. He's at Simon's house. A parallel to this says that Lazarus is also there, and it's his house. Those of you that know the Bible a little bit more might remember that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He had been dead for several days. Lazarus had just been raised just a few days before this. Jesus is at the house with Simon the leper, who Jesus probably also healed, perhaps early in Mark's gospel. We don't know. But Jesus is there with his disciples. Jesus is at their house. Jesus is probably relaxing and enjoying fellowship. Jesus has endured an awful lot. He's been teaching. He's been traveling. There are those that have loved him. There are those who have hated him and despised him. His disciples have been confused. And here he is at the house, more than likely enjoying fellowship with his friends. As a matter of fact, the parallel account tells us that it was a dinner party given in Jesus' honor. So it was also a celebration. And you all know what these times are like, right? Surely you've gotten together with some friends, perhaps even recently, last night or the night before, or sometime this week. Certainly you've got together with friends and just enjoyed fellowship and enjoyed being together. The Leggetts are going to have a party this afternoon with their family, celebrating this time when Oliver got baptized. We do this sort of thing all the time. Jesus did as well. He was here celebrating. He was here resting. He was here enjoying fellowship with his friends. And then a woman enters the room. It's probably Mary. Mary enters the room where Jesus is located with his disciples. And she comes in and she takes this perfume. As Mark tells you, it's pure nard. A very expensive, I know, weird sounding name. Very costly, very expensive. It came from India. More than likely, this was her inheritance. More than likely, this was given to her by her mother or her grandmother. And she enters the room where Jesus is, and it's in this special container. And she breaks open the container, and she pours it all over Jesus. Yes, it's true. She took her life savings that was probably an inheritance that she had received from her mother or her grandmother on a very special occasion, perhaps the death of one or both. And she takes this, breaks it open, and pours it all over the Lord Jesus Christ. Now those who were there that witnessed this weren't very happy, were they? It tells you in verse 5 that they actually scolded her for doing this. Mary, how can you do this? This is your inheritance. This is something that you probably received from your family. This is an heirloom. This is the most expensive perfume that exists. And you poured it all? They scolded her. They even said in verse 4 that she wasted this. 
and perhaps we could have helped out the poor. Now, not getting into all the details and trying to guess motives here and there, let's just take all that at face value. Doesn't that make sense? If you had been in that room and Mary comes in and she unloads this most expensive perfume possible, and if you knew that this was the most expensive thing, and if you knew that this was her her inheritance, wouldn't you think for a moment, what's going on with this lady? Wouldn't you as well think, well, she didn't have to do all of it. I mean, she could have done half and, and left half, right? I mean, a few little drops of this and it would have caused the whole house to smell amazing. Why did she do all of this? And, and if she wanted to give this away, if she wanted to give this away, um, maybe we, we could have used this to help the poor. There are all kinds of people around our town, especially now that there are 250,000 people in Jerusalem. We could have really helped a lot of people. Again, without getting into all kinds of motives and discerning everything, doesn't that response make sense? Wouldn't you at least thought for a moment about Man, yeah, maybe she is wasting a little bit. We could have used this to help those all over town. You can understand why they might have been upset. You, perhaps, we would have thought the exact same thing. And it's in the midst of the scolding. It's in the midst of people saying that she wasted this. It's in the midst of people saying that we could have helped out all kinds of poor folks. It's in the midst of all of that that Jesus says, leave her alone, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that shocking? You see, this is where we have to start digging deep and digging down, because we need to remember that following the Lord Jesus Christ is absolute, comprehensive devotion. The call of the gospel and the summons and the message of Christianity is come and give everything. It is that God demands our heart, he demands our soul, he demands our mind, and he demands our strength. Whole-souled devotion. Everything that we are, God demands it. He wants it. And it's not just doing it once on one day. It's that we must continually open up our minds to his thoughts. It's that day in and day out we must continually open our heart to him. It's that we must continue to be willing to change and to follow and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Whole soul devotion, losing whatever identity you have, whether that's defined by your sexuality, whether that's defined by your bank account, or whether that's defined by your job title, whether it's defined by whatever it is you think you do. The message of Christianity is that you lose your identity and you stop trying to build your identity on anything else than finding your identity and receiving your identity from Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. 
You see, the purpose of Christianity is not to make us a good person. It's to make us a new person. The purpose of Christianity is not to make us a nice person. It goes far deeper than that. It's to make us a disciple. The purpose of Christianity is not to make us a generous person. It goes way beyond that. We need to be a sacrificial person that is generous. You see, the message of Christianity, what the gospel does when it gets into our lives, is that it doesn't make us a fan of the Lord Jesus. It makes us a follower of Christ. You see, Mary loses everything. She loses her reputation. She loses her inheritance. She loses her security. You see, that comes right to us. It comes right at us, doesn't it? What is it that is too valuable for you to give up? What is it that's too valuable for you to give up? Your reputation? Your history? Your titles? Your bank account? What is it that's too valuable for you to give up? What are you withholding from the Lord Jesus Christ? What is more precious to you than Jesus? Those really are soul-searching questions, aren't they? You see, the challenge is that we struggle to be whole soul devoted to the Lord Jesus. All of us. We struggle because our motivations are all wrong. If we're willing to think about those questions, we have to also admit that our motivations for committing ourselves to Christ oftentimes are wrong. They're sinful. Oftentimes we think that God owes me, right? So we have this expectation that I'll do this and this and God's going to do this. In other words, with everything that we do, strings are always attached That's why we get so discouraged if something happens in our life that we don't expect. Because we think that God owes us and that he needs to put his stamp of approval on my plan. And when my plan doesn't happen, I get really frustrated at God. You see, because the deeper reality is that we want God to do what we want. All of us struggle with this. We also think and are motivated by this. We think that God really isn't good enough. I mean, good enough for me, good enough for you. So therefore, we think, well, I need God to help me, but I can really do it, whatever it is. I can really do it. Yeah, I might need God's help a little bit, but I can do it. And we struggle because it's not just that God isn't good enough, it's that I have a lot of ability on my own. And even more than that, I want to take credit. God really isn't good enough to get all the credit. I need to have some credit here. So even when we think about being devoted to the Lord completely, we often have all these sinful motives that are going on and working and operating within us. See, when you start putting this together, chapter 14, 1 through 11, what you realize 
is that the back end of the sandwich, if you will, in verse 10 and 11, is that Judas goes out, he leaves, perhaps he's discouraged, whatever it is, he leaves, and he hears that the story is real, that there are people who are trying to kill Jesus by stealth, and he decides to himself, you know what, I can help him, I can help them, I can help further this plan. So he goes and he has a meeting. And then coming out of that meeting, they agree to pay him. So from that point on, Judas is seeking and looking for an opportune time to betray the Lord Jesus. You see, when you put all this together, when you think about what's going on in this story, what you realize is that Judas is making a profit off of the death of Christ for money. What you see is that the scribes and the chief priests are making a profit off of the death of Jesus by gaining power. And what you see is that the disciples are confused and they don't know what to do, but we do know this. They're not willing to give up anything. And what you see is the woman. And she is the only one that profits from the death of Christ. The only one. You see, there's only one motivation. There's only one thing in the world that will initiate and cause whole soul devotion to flourish. Only one thing in the world. And Jesus tells us exactly what it is in verse 8. She discerned the death of Christ. Look at it. Listen to this. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Do you see it? There's only one thing that can initiate your whole soul devotion. There's only one thing that can cause our whole soul devotion to God to flourish. There's only one way that we are going to be able to continually open up our minds and open up our hearts and be willing to change and obey the Lord Jesus. And it is not, it is not thinking that we can control God. It is not doing things that God wants us to do in order for strings to be attached and we get what we want. It's not so that we can get glory. It's not so that God can just help us a little bit. It's that we have to discern the death of Christ. She understood that Jesus was going to die She understood that Jesus was going to die for her. And that in her mind, she knew how costly it was to pour out all of the perfume on Jesus. She knew how costly it was. She knew it was her inheritance. But she knew, she knew the love of Christ for her was far more expensive. She knew that the death of Jesus for her was of infinite value. And she saw it. Do you see it? 
Do you see what's happening here in these verses? In the midst of the fury, in the midst of what's going on in Jerusalem, where people are plotting to kill Jesus, where people are plotting to, and all their plan is starting to come together. In the midst of all of that, Jesus and the world are presented properly. We almost get a glimpse of a perfect moment, if you will, where Jesus and the world are presented properly as they really are. She saw the world and what it could give for what it was. And she saw Jesus and what he was going to give. And she acts accordingly. Beloved, by losing everything, she found everything. And Jesus says, that's beautiful. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for this story. It reminds us how deep sin is within us. It reminds us that you expect and demand all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, all that we are, and that we are so slow to give it. You show us here that it's only as we discern your death and the cost of you going to the cross that we will ever desire to let go of all that we're hanging on to that we think defines us and brings us joy and happiness because it doesn't. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in this moment in which this woman was being scolded, that you remind us what real beauty is. And we ask that you would give us the strength and the confidence and the hope to let go of all that we're clinging on to. Help us to lose everything that we might find everything in you that we might find fresh reasons to obey, fresh reasons to trust, fresh hope for this week. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, that you are willing to die. Would you help us to evaluate and think about our own lives? And realize that the message that you proclaim 
is that by losing everything, we really gain everything. Because there we find you, and we cling to you, and we hope in you, and in you we find rest. Thank you for being our Savior. Lead us, we pray, for your glory and for our good. Amen.